This is episode eight, season two, from reading two Joseph stories. After the senior pastor made his, quote, divine pronouncement that I had planted a new congregation, that I was to leave the pastoral team and that congregation and go pastor this new church, as a part of this transition, he wanted to inform the three pastors I'd been praying with on Friday afternoon and the people attending the FNG himself directly. So he had me set this up for the coming Friday for him to do this. When he and I met with the three pastors, they were stunned to hear this news. They questioned me about what I had said to them about having no plans to make the FNG a church. And with the senior pastor sitting there, it was difficult for me to try to explain myself to them. After all, what was I going to say? Gee, fellas, I really didn't have any plans for the FNG to become a church, but a senior pastor is forcing me to do so. The senior pastor and I left that meeting with these men believing me to be a liar, even voicing this in our meeting. And of course, the senior pastor said nothing to defend me. All my credibility was now destroyed with these men. The people of FNG were a little surprised to see the senior pastor at our meeting that, that evening, as I was allowed as I was allowed, excuse me, I was not allowed to give any heads up as to his attending. Not because they didn't know him, they did, as many of them drove up to our congregation to attend our Saturday or and or Sunday evening services. They were surprised because he had never been to any of the FNG meetings before. The senior pastor began with his explanation about how on his monk retreat, the Lord told him that I had planted a new church and that I was now to become the full-time pastor of it. In the instant he said that, the FNG was going to become a new church, absolutely everyone was shocked at this, for they all, not just the five couples I had asked to pray about this, instinctively knew this was not what Jesus wanted. For my part, sitting slightly behind and to the side of the senior pastor, when the people responded so negatively, I tried not to give any indication that I, too, disagreed with what the senior pastor was saying. After all, I'm supposed to be a good team member who supports and submits to the senior pastor. This entire ordeal was incredibly difficult, for I'm not much of an actor. And as the senior pastor continued to talk, the more the people's disagreement with what he was saying began to become obvious, even to him. However, he would not be swayed by what these people thought about what he was saying. Not even when someone interrupted him, telling him bluntly that if the FNG became a church, they would no longer be a part of it. Many nodded in agreement. The senior pastor, being good with people, was not affected by this. Just stood his ground even more solidly, insisting that this was the Lord's leading and people were free to make their choices. Of course, the choice to leave the FNG as it was was not one of the choices. In the end, despite the people's negative response to what he said, the senior pastor was not deterred from his plan. So when we returned home, he gave me clear instructions as to what he expected me to do to begin to move my family from our home, my children from their friends and their schools, my wife from her job, and all of us from this congregation that have been our church family into this community an hour and a half south of Houston thus transitioning off the pastoral team and out of the congregation 
and into being the senior pastor of this new church. My wife and one of our friends from the FMG did go looking for housing. After looking for an entire day, the only thing they found was a fixer-upper type house that was much smaller than the already small one we were living in with three children. And yet, its monthly lease payment was exactly three times our current house payment. As I already expressed, the FMG was such a wonderful thing Jesus allowed me to participate in. Many, many good and godly things were happening in it. But the day we were forced to make it into a church, literally the very first time we met in a hotel conference room as a church, it died. I don't mean it wasn't the same. I mean it dropped dead. And in just a few months, the FNG was no more. The heaviness was back tenfold, maybe a thousand. I knew that I knew that this was not Jesus' leaving for my life or for my wife and children. And I knew that I knew that the senior pastor was up to his usual stuff. But I also knew that I knew there was no way of stopping this without severe consequences, as we had all seen him do with the original music pastor. Thus, I knew that I knew the senior pastor was going to have it his way or else. Some time passed, and this one day, the youth pastor and I were using the men's room. As we did, he asked me how things were going with moving to this small community. Then I made a huge mistake. In a moment of vulnerable honesty, I let out a little of my disagreement with what the senior pastor had commanded. Whatever Jesus meant by an unpardonable sin, he must have been wrong. For surely this was the unpardonable sin to disagree with the senior pastor, no matter how much crap he did to me and to those I love. The youth pastor zipped up his fly and flew immediately to the senior pastor's office to inform him of my sin. Hell would soon be unleashed upon me, and then upon my wife and our children. Hell began to spew its venom when the senior pastor called for a meeting of all the pastors. The sides in this combat became clear quickly. The senior pastor just sat back as the senior associate pastor and the youth pastor became the pit bull-like prosecutors, making numerous accusations. I was not a good team member. I had a huge, long-standing trust issues. I didn't submit to authority. I was the cause of every relational problem on the pastoral team had, etc. The new worship pastor claimed neutrality based on not being on the pastoral team for a few for only being on the pastoral team for a few years. What was being done to me did not require knowing any relational history of the pastoral team. It was obvious that the senior pastor was pushing something on me that he had no right to push. And when I tried, even meekly, to disagree, he accused me of not submitting to his authority. This pastor's excuse and recusal was a cowardly cop-out. The administrative pastor seemed to be on my side, but not committedly. Thus, he was no help. This pastor knew the truth about what had, had been what had been and was happening. He, too, was just too cowardly to speak up, much less to make the job-related fatal mistake of defending me. So there's not even one member of the pastoral team who spoke in my defense. 
as I had done to the initial music pastor when the senior pastor attacked him, much less confronting the senior pastor with his plain God in my life, violating not only violating his own teachings in the ministry team training material about how to handle something one thinks the Lord may have said, as if he had some sort of special permission to do whatever he wanted. Instead, the verbal pounding just kept coming and coming. At some point, I was asked to explain why in the world I could not trust the senior pastor, this so godly of a man. The only way I could think at that pressurized moment to try to explain how I felt as a member of this pastoral team was to tell them the basketball dream. Remember, I never told anyone about this dream. As I unfolded the first part of the dream that depicted me struggling to do my job due to some unhealthy control and pressure, the pastors listened. But when I got to the part of the dream in which the senior pastor replaced me with a demonic creature, one would have thought I had cursed the senior pastor's mother. Just as with Joseph's brothers, who were offended at the dreams Yahweh gave Joseph, so were these pastors offended at the dream Jesus gave me, which was intended for their good, for it exposed the unhealthy relationships, as well as giving a serious warning. As with Joseph's dreams, the basketball dream was not ultimately about me. It was for the benefit of the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor. Just as with Joseph's dreams, this dream was an invitation for these quote, brothers, to humble themselves. After sharing the stream, the verbal pounding increased intensely. How dare I have such a dream about such a godly man as if I made myself have the dream? This dream was immediately dismissed as not being from Jesus and considered to be proof that I certainly did have a demon or a terribly destructive personality problem. Verbal blow after verbal blow was laid upon me. And with each one, my heart was wounded with such false accusations. And as this onslaught is going on, no one notices the actual wrong things the senior pastor had done in the way he expressed what he claimed God said to him about sending me to pastor a new congregation. And neither did any of the other pastors acknowledge that the people of the FNG had rejected the senior pastor's plan for FNG to become a church. It's as if the only person's views that mattered was the senior pastor's views. Since I was being accused of having some personal issues, I asked the senior pastor if he had any personal issues. He happened to be sitting on the side of a conference table that was close to a wall. So he leaned his chair back against the wall and in a matter-of-fact tone said, no, he didn't. And to make sure he was clear, he said that pretty much everything in his life was good, really good. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ to love one another. If anyone thinks he is something when he is not, he deceives himself. Besides the fact that I had not committed any actual sin, there was nothing in Paul's advice in this message to the senior pastor or in any of the other pastors. And again, I wasn't sinning. I simply did not agree with what the senior pastor claimed 
God told him concerning the direction of my life. The arrogance of the senior pastor's words and his body language was incredible, even for him. And yet again, no one challenged what he said, what he had just said. It was as if they all believed that he was that good. Somehow, I don't know how, maybe out of some mercy from the Spirit, someone said we needed a bathroom break. And for my break, I made my way to a little closet around a tight corner that led to the second-story sound booth. I entered it, turned on the light, and shut the door. Immediately, I was doubled over with sobs, gut-wrenching sobs. I was being destroyed from the inside out by my supposed brothers. Was this how Joseph felt? This went on for a while, so I was the last one to return to the meeting, having taken some time to pull myself together so that no one would know of my broken heart. This meeting continued for several more hours. I felt like I was running an emotional marathon. When the meeting finally ended, leaving the final decree and, and final sentencing unspoken, but obviously hanging in the air, I was a daze. I wasn't sure I had the physical strength and the mental capabilities to drive myself home. I was completely exhausted, drained to the last drop, just like in the basketball dream. There were some more long meetings that followed, which I can hardly remember. I was there, and yet not there, as I awaited the execution the pastoral team was inching its way toward. I hadn't been sleeping much, which added to my deep stress and fatigue. When one Saturday morning, our home phone rang, waking me from my short sleep. When I answered it, the administrative pastor said, Gary, I forgot to tell you, there's a deacon's meeting this morning. I said, oh, okay, what time? He said, right now, we're all here waiting for you. Trying to throw off what was left of my sleep as I got myself out of bed, I said, okay, I just need to get a shower and dress and I'll be there. He said, don't worry about showering. Just throw on some clothes and get here as quickly as you can. As I said, we're all waiting on you. Still groggy and not picking up on what he was implying, I said, sure. The administrator's pastor hadn't forgotten to tell me about this meeting. He was manipulating me. This was the purposeful plan of the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor to maintain control of me and the meeting. They didn't want me doing anything that would cause some other outcome to what they wanted, like calling the chairman of the deacons, who knew what the senior pastor did to the original music pastor and asking him for help. As I drove to the meeting, it seemed like Jesus brought Isaiah 53.7 to my mind, but made it personal. You are being led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so you are not to open your mouth. For there's nothing you can say that will stop what's about to happen. Tears welled up in my eyes. When I arrived at the church, there were the other five pastors and the ten deacons sitting in a room waiting for me. All the pastors were dressed for Sunday morning church. Most of the deacons were too. I'm unshaven, unbathed, wearing shorts, a t-shirt, and a ball cap. Everyone looks quite professional. I look unemployed maybe even homeless. The meeting began with prayer. What a farce. Then the senior pastor, the ultimate prosecutor, distributes his professionally printed notes to everyone and begins his prosecution. 
As he spoke, his words sounded far away to me, like I was in a tunnel. My head is down. I didn't want to look up. However, made a, however, I made a couple of quick glances at the deacons. I saw on the faces of two or three of the deacons a distinct disagreement with the senior pastor's slickly prepared presentation. At some point, the senior pastor finished speaking. He asked me if I had anything to say. Isaiah 53, 7 came back to mind, and I mumbled a couple of sentences I didn't even understand. <laughs> then I just shut up. For there really was nothing I could say to defend myself in this mockery of a trial. I don't remember much after that other than it was agreed that at the Sunday evening service the next day, the senior pastor would inform the congregation of my problem and his plan to fix me. I, of course, had to be present, and I was told I no longer had the right to say anything other than that I agreed with the senior pastor. Sunday afternoon, a couple of men from the FNG came and helped me to move all my stuff out of my office and into our little house. My wife and I got cleaned up, left our children with a babysitter, and went to the evening service, sitting in our usual seats on the second row on the left side facing the pulpit. <laughs> After worship, the senior pastor made a slick but vague presentation to the congregation peppering it with feigned concern for me. My wife and I purposed not to look anywhere except down or straight ahead, but even in this I could sense an uncomfortable stirring in the people, as they did not believe what the senior pastor was saying. When the senior pastor finished, in an attempt to appear like he cared about me, he called me up to the platform, asked if I had anything to say, so I said my, my pre-approved line. He then put his arm around my shoulders, even as as if to care about me, and prayed for me and my family. When the charade ended, I quickly stepped down from the platform, gathered up my wife, handed my building keys to the church secretary sitting behind us, who seemed on the, to be on the verge of crying, as this came to a complete shock to her, as it did to everyone, and we left. And as we were leaving, it seemed I heard people crying out things to me, nice things, loving things but everything was such a blur. Once we, had, we, once we were gone, most of the people began expressing real issues to the senior pastor, asking hard questions, making hard comments. And for the first time in this man's life, as it was reported to me by the administrative pastor, senior pastor was taken out of his game. In fact, he began to have such a difficult time dealing with the people that some of the other pastors stepped up to try to help him unsuccessfully. But the people would not be placated or mollified. No amount of explanation could justify what they just heard, for they knew me, and thus they knew something was not right. Like Joseph, I was the youngest in terms of longevity of knowing Jesus of Nazareth. All these men had known him much longer. My older brothers put me, my wife, and my children into a pit and then banished us from their presence, yet ultimately unleashing a very powerful demon on us, just as the basketball dream had warned. Three things began at that moment. First, the Holy Spirit left that location with my wife and I, for he too had had enough of these men's wickedness. 
Some years later, even the senior pastor acknowledged that this congregation wasn't what it once was, and it has continued to decline despite attempts by the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor to revive it. Secondly, the half-bull and half-man demon, which turned out to be one of the bulls of Bashan, slowly but absolutely destroyed me, my wife, and our children, which is yet to be healed. Thirdly, this powerful, dangerous, and deceptive demon filled the void left by the exit of the Holy Spirit. It remains in that congregation to this day, pretending to be the Holy Spirit, but mocking everyone there and stirring up their flesh. Senior pastor was smart enough to know that he needed to couch what he was doing in some sort of redemptive way before the people. For appearances, at the very least, to make himself appear to be a godly man doing something loving. So he was not firing me. He was removing me for a time in which I was to receive counseling to help me with my, quote, inability to trust authority. Then, after I was healed of this, I might be reinstated. Reinstated as what? I don't know. It never crossed his mind what he was doing was one more thing in a long line of things that made him unworthy of my trust as a leader, even as a person. Trusting someone is contingent on that person being trustworthy, worthy and deserving of one's trust. And this man was not worthy of my or anyone else's trust. And as it turned out, the worship pastor, the administrative pastor, and the youth pastor didn't trust him either. Eventually, all three left. Within about six months, the worship pastor was the first to abandon ship, <clears throat> taking a position at another congregation. But in a short time, he and that senior pastor had some conflict, resulting in the worship pastor splitting the congregation, starting another congregation, only to see it dry up and die. The administrative pastor was the second one to exit taking a position as the senior pastor of a congregation that only a fool would have taken. And after a short time, he too was falsely accused, and the entire thing destroyed him, his marriage, and his children. As of this writing, he's no longer in the ministry. Neither of these men ever connected the dots in that what they participated in doing to me in their cowardly silence eventually came upon them. Destruction. As for the youth pastor who sided with the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor, it took a few more years, but eventually he had a falling out with the senior pastor and was asked to leave. Although I believe the public reason for his leaving was that he accepted a position at another congregation. Last I heard, he too is no longer in full-time ministry. Therefore, even though the senior pastor was talking the talk and doing something for my benefit, I and most of the congregation knew differently. For if there was anyone who had issues which needed to be addressed, it was the senior pastor, as well as the senior associate pastor. As for me, there was no way I was going to return to being under this man's authority. And as for some sort of problem submitting to authority, it turns out there was none. If anything, I kept trying to do the impossible job of trusting an untrustworthy leader with serious issues. Issues. He was arrogantly clueless about.